0: Hello, friends. We're studying the book of Matthew again. Hopefully, uh, this is all going to go well and we won't have any trouble and issues. Uh, it's great to see you. Great to be with you. Uh, great to be back in the book of Matthew. Uh, it's a beautiful day in Tyler, Texas. A little uh, little bit of a wind, but not bad. Uh, those clear blue skies that Texas is known so well for. And uh, the roses and uh, some other uh, flowers are are beginning to bloom and blooming and it's uh really pretty uh so that's a nice thing in the midst of a pandemic Uh, but hopefully uh we'll have several that will join us along with us as we continue this study through the book of matthew and if you can't watch it live then uh, feel free to go online and uh and check out my facebook page or our west erwin church of christ page after the study's over then we typically try to post it Uh, there. It's also on our website, uh, westirwin.com, under our live streaming, under our social media and resources link uh, tab, and uh, you can click on archives, and you'll see all the Matthew studies and other uh, fun things uh, there. Um, So it's great to be with you. Great to see you. Hey, Jeff Bullock, my friend. Wow, brother. Great to see you. Great to see you. Uh, Hope you and Helen are doing well. Love and miss you guys a bunch, uh, a whole bunch, but glad Glad that you're able to join in. Um, and so we're, we've been going through the book of Matthew. We took some time going through the Sermon on the Mount, but typically what I'm trying to do is do about, uh, just kind of read through and comment briefly on two chapters a day. And that's, uh, that's what we're gonna try to, uh, try to do. Um, and so we have several that are joining in. My buddy Doug Sifford from Oklahoma Christian Days and wonderful Mary and Robert Lee that are here and Tyler with us and uh, Cindy and Eric Mosley, our dear, dear friends. Uh, that are in this area uh, as well. Just a note, uh, Cindy and Eric, I got to talk to your son for a little bit earlier today, and I know every one of you that are watching and will watch would wanted wanted to know that. So I just thought I'd throw that in. Um, Okay, so Matthew chapter 10, the goal today is to look at Matthew chapter 10, 11, and possibly 12. Uh, We'll see how far it goes. Uh, People like Joe Morris that just joined us uh, know, uh, she knows especially, Uh, Just exactly how long-winded Bill can be Uh, my former secretary and great dear friend uh, from our North Carolina days We miss you so much and love you and the rest of our South Fork family there Uh, but uh, uh, Excited about uh, continuing on through the study Uh, And so let's get to it Uh, Matthew chapter 10 Uh, the the passage begins with a look at uh, the Apostles and um, uh, we know that as Jesus calls them one by one Uh, remember that song, the children's songs, um, we understand that he's calling them to follow him, but we also understand that he is, um, he's calling them to, to ministry and, um, and he's calling them to a ministry that can be, uh, pretty, pretty difficult. Um, we read their names in verses, uh, two through four, uh, those 12 apostles, uh, that Jesus called. In um, other uh, places in uh, the New Testament, we, we read that as Jesus was preparing to, uh, to call uh, them out in the book of Luke, that they spent all night in prayer uh, before uh, calling them. And so uh, you've probably heard me say, if you're familiar with my teaching and preaching at all, that the, 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 the most important call in Scripture uh, to prayer is the acknowledgement and the realization that Jesus prayed and um, and on some occasions he prayed all night long and this was one of those as he gets prepared to um, to call his 12 apostles uh so they're listed there uh in those verses including judas iscariot who betrayed him uh, matthew shares that little comment we just read about matthew's uh, version of his calling and uh, the dinner that he had for jesus at his house uh, after that and then jesus is going to uh, tell them a little bit about what's ahead Uh, Matthew 10 is one of the hardest chapters to read uh, because it is rough, and uh, what Jesus, what's rough about it is that Jesus is telling us, his disciples, that uh, you're going to have a hard time with this. Uh, We're reminded of Isaiah's calling when he saw the Lord on the throne, as he says in Isaiah chapter 6, and feels like he's a dead man because of it, but God forgives and heals and uh, has the angel take the tongs and and get a coal from the altar and touch his lips and he's he's healed uh, uh, of his leprosy from uh, being a dead man uh, having seen the Lord as he puts it. Uh, but then uh, then God says, Who will go for us? Who will we send? And you know Isaiah shoots his hand straight up and says, Here am I. Uh, send me. In Isaiah six. And God says, Okay, fine. Uh, but let me tell you, it's going to be rough going to be hard. It's going to be tough. Uh, and they're not going to listen to you. Uh, your life is going to be made more difficult because uh, you've answered this calling, not less, uh, but I'll be with you through it all. Well, that's kind of what Jesus does in Matthew 10. And, um, you know, I, uh, we hear a lot these days about, uh, you know, people who, who say, well, you know, God just wants me to be happy. Well, if God just wanted you to be happy, there would be no Matthew 10. Because this passage is a pretty clear-cut case that um, there are bigger concerns for God for us than uh, our happiness uh, right now in this moment, or at least how we view what would make us happy. Uh, Because the things he talks about in Matthew 10 are are not making anybody happy uh, except those who are enemies of Christ. Um, So let's read it, and we'll chat about it a little bit as we go. Fair enough? Fair enough uh start at verse 5 of matthew 10. these 12 that he's just named jesus sent out with the following instructions do not go among the gentiles or enter any town of the samaritans go rather to the lost sheep of israel as you go proclaim this message the kingdom of heaven has come near Uh, heal the sick raise the dead cleanse those who have leprosy drive out demons freely you have received freely give we sing that song sometimes uh, taken from that statement and it's a wonderful uh beautiful song uh verse nine do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts no bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff for the worker is worth his keep Uh, whatever town or village you enter search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave i um, just working on my sermon for Mother's Day, actually, coming up a week from Sunday. And I'm thinking that I'm going to be uh, uh, talking about that wonderful woman, Lydia, who was the first convert in Europe that's recorded in Acts chapter 16, and how after being baptized, she and her family, she opened up her home to Paul and Silas and Timothy and, and encouraged them to stay with her and likely was the home for the church that was begun there in Philippi. Um, as Jesus sends out the disciples, he tells them, look, um, don't, you know, don't worry about, uh, the, uh, support, the people who you help will, will help you. And you'll be, uh, provided for, um, verse 12, as you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town, and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. And I think everyone is pretty familiar with what happened uh, with Sodom and Gomorrah, that because of their horrible sexual immorality, homosexuality, uh, they were destroyed uh, by God. And uh, God says, now um, you're going on my behalf, Jesus tells them. And he says, the people who will reject you Uh, are rejecting me, and it will be even worse uh, for them because they refuse uh, to follow uh, the commands and the teaching and the call of the Lord. Uh, And he tells them, shake the dust off your feet. If they're not going to listen, then go on, move on. Uh, And that's a hard one for us because I think think it's tough sometimes for us to know when to move on and and when to hang in there with people. Um, And I I don't think that there's an easy way to answer that. Um, certainly if it's someone you care about, someone who's close to you, someone who is a part of your family that you love, that is not being responsive to the word of God, then likely you will uh, have to back away from, um, from that kind of direct teaching. But that example and that love and those prayers will always be there. And, and sometimes that's all we can do uh, in those kinds of situations this is a special mission that jesus has these disciples going out on and so he tells them look i i want you to go to all these cities in israel i want you to uh to talk to the jews and to and to minister to them and to tell them the kingdom of heaven is near kingdom of heaven is right here Um, just as john said just as jesus says repent for the kingdom of heaven is near that's the message that they were supposed to bring and so jesus says uh, if, if they're not going to listen to it, then shake the dust off your feet and 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 go on. Maybe somewhere down the line they will. Um, but for right now, this is the message uh, I want you to teach. And so hang in there. Um, hang in there with it and continue um, continue to do that. And so that gets us to Matthew 10, verse 16. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. What a, what a great statement. Uh, be shrewd as snakes and innocent uh, as does. Uh, we, uh, we don't have to play the games the way the world plays them. And we don't, as the Sermon on the Mount said, we don't treat people the way they treat us. We treat people the way we would like to be treated. And ultimately, Scripture says we treat people the way God in Christ Jesus has treated us and how he has loved us and served us and forgiven us. That's the way Christians act. That's the way the church is to be. But as I say many times in my lessons, that doesn't mean you check your brain at the door. Uh, scripture is pretty clear in saying, look, you know, you you can use your head. You can use your brain. And so I think Jesus here is telling us, look, don't, don't, don't tie in to the sins of the world. Don't become worldly. Uh, but at the same time, he says you can you can be smart. Uh, You can use your brain that God has given you. And I kind of think that that's what that, that statement means. Verse 17 of Matthew 10, be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, Jesus says, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. We certainly see that in the life of the Apostle Paul. But when they arrest you do not worry about what to say or how to say it at that time you will be given what to say for it will not be you speaking but the spirit of your father speaking through you brother will betray brother to death and a father his child children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death you will be hated by everyone because of me but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved when you are persecuted in one place flee to another Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, verse 24, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teacher and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, the devil, how much more the members of his household? Well, there's a lot in there and there's a lot to come that's very similar. Um, Jesus is saying people are not going to like how you live, and and what you say. Uh, They're just not going to respond to it. Some will. Many won't. And some of those who won't are going to make your life difficult and horrible. And again, if you're looking for just plain, I want to feel good, I want to feel happy, then this is not for you. Because Jesus says, they're going to make you suffer, not just in spite of me, but because of me. Because you have my word because you live according to my values, because you seek to share my message with others, they're going to hate you and punish you. They're going to flog you. They're going to beat you. Uh, They are going to put you in prison and they're going to take your life. Um, That's a far cry from Jesus. I know God just wants me to be happy. That's a far, far cry from that. Jesus says the most important thing in your life is to do the will of the Father. And that's what Jesus came to do as well. And that's, that's why he taught the way he taught. That's why he preached the way he preached and lived the way he lived. And that's why they put him to death too, because he came to do the will of the father above all, even in the garden. As we know, he prayed, father, it would make me happy if you would find some other way to do this, but not my will, but yours be done. Um, Jesus tells his disciples, look, the student is not above the teacher. This is how they've treated me, he will say. And so you can't expect to be treated any better. Um, so we continue on in verse 26 of Matthew 10. So do not be afraid of them, (laughs) which is strange (laughs) because he just said, they're going to do all these horrible things to you. So don't be afraid of them. Well, in my mind, that's why we should be afraid of them. Um. But we have to remember that um, there's more to it than just that. Matthew 10, verse 26. So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roots. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, verse 28. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny yet? Not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. Or even the very heads of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Verse 32, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my father in heaven. Jesus says, look, there's more to it than this life. There's more to it than than your physical health, than your emotional health. There's, there's more to it than you getting your way. There's more to it than, than you being happy in this life. I do believe that God wants us to experience joy, but he wants us to experience the joy that's not dependent upon our current circumstances. And that's all the world can, can offer. And Satan does a really good job of tempting us with that very feeling of momentary, present happiness, uh, because he wants that to take the place of the kind of eternal joy that only comes from giving our lives uh, to Christ. And so Jesus says, look, um, they can't touch you as far as your spiritual life and your soul are concerned. They can take your physical life, and as he has just said, some of them will, but they can't do more than that. And so Jesus says, look, God has got you. Uh, Even the very hairs of your head are numbered, Jesus says. And for some of us, uh, that's actually not saying all that much. Uh, But it is saying a lot, obviously. And uh, God knows everything about us. The psalmist in Psalm 139 says, you know me. You created me in my mother's womb. You designed me. Uh, Every thought, every word, every action you're aware of But for the psalmist, that was a joy. That was not a curse. Uh, The psalmist was glad, even though the psalmist, like all the rest of us, knew their faults and their sins, they also knew the love of God. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Uh, The Father knows everything about you, and he knows everything that you're going through, and he knows all the threats and concerns and burdens in your life, and he'll be there for you. He's not necessarily going to save you from them. Sometimes he may save you through them or may use that suffering to save someone else. You see, as we think of our joy and happiness at the present moment, we remember that that's not God's primary um, goal. Uh, His goal is for everyone to come to know him and to be with him for eternity. And so that means that sometimes he may use some things that are uh, uh, distressing or discomforting for me to help someone else. And that his goal is not my momentary happiness. His goal is the eternal life of all people. Um, And so Jesus makes this strong statement in verse 32. If you acknowledge me before people, I'll acknowledge you before my father. But if you deny me and disown me before uh, others, then I'll disown you before my father. And, And the thing that makes that so powerful is that they are going to be tempted to do exactly that. What the Apostle Paul will say he tried to do as he tells his story in Acts 26 is I tried to get people to deny the name of Christ. That was my goal. And if they didn't do it, then I would have them beaten and I would have them imprisoned. And when they were put to death, I would be okay with that. Jesus says, you've got to, you've got to do my will, even, even when it means sacrifice. As we know, later on, he's going to say, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to deny yourself. Uh, Not do whatever it takes to make yourself happy or feel happy. But if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to do it my way. Um, You've got to do it according to my word and the Father's word. And that may mean denying yourself and taking up your cross and following me. Uh, Jesus says, look, if if you disown me, then I'll... I'll disown you before my father. But if you acknowledge me, if you confess me, if you stay faithful to me and to my word and my will, then I will never leave you or forsake you. Um, And so verse again, verse 34, do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword, for I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it." Again, what is he saying there? Well, he's saying that we have to, we have to put ourselves in the back seat and put Christ and his will and his kingdom in the front seat. Uh, that verse we saw in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, we've got to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things that we feel like we need, well, we'll have them. We'll have them. We won't have everything we want and at times we won't feel happy. I don't see how you can read Matthew 10 without acknowledging that they suffered greatly because of the message and the cause of Christ. And there's a chance that there will be some things that we will have to give up as well, uh, and that we will sacrifice. And some things that we will do that maybe we don't necessarily want to do. And some things that we won't get to do that we really feel like would make us happy. But Jesus says, they're not my will, they're not my way. And so I want you to put them behind you. If you love your life more than me, then you're not worthy of me. If you put me first, if you seek first his kingdom, his righteousness scripture says that we'll have the things that will bring ultimate joy not just momentary happiness that's based on the circumstances and what i'm going through and how i feel today but the kind of joy that's deep inside your heart that the circumstances of life which are always going to ebb and flow (laughs) um that those circumstances can't change Um, And so the chapter ends starting in verse 40 anyone who welcomes you welcomes me and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me speaking of the father Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward and whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward and then I love verse 42 if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple Truly, I tell you that person will certainly not lose their reward. That's such a great promise. And what it tells us is maybe you can't do much. Maybe you can't do much more than pray. Maybe you can't do much more than send a note of encouragement to someone who is really trying to be faithful. Maybe you there's not much that you can do, but what you can do, God will see and he will acknowledge and it matters. It matters. Uh, Joyce and I have certainly understood through the years what it's like uh, to be prayed for, and um, and I think we've all experienced difficult things in our lives. and 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 those of us with a connection to people of faith and to a church family, we we get that. Uh, we get that. We understand the powerful feeling that you have that there are really people who are genuinely and seriously and sincerely, not just saying that they do it, but actually praying for you and remembering that. And that's a powerful, powerful thing. Little notes of encouragement, uh, little little minor things that you might do to help someone in the cause of Christ that you think really it doesn't put you out much. It's not a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. The cards we receive, the, the text messages of encouragement that Joyce gets that that tell, tell us, you know, I'm thinking about you. i said a prayer for you today, or I've got you on my mind today, or I hope things are going well. Those mean everything. It's that cup of cold water. And Jesus says it will not go unrewarded. Again, Matthew 10, you can't take it out of your Bible. Well, you can take it out of your Bible if you want. If you wanna to subscribe to that, God just wants me to be happy, then you can rip that page right out. Um, but it's there, it's there. And it's there to remind us that there are more important things than just what we see and experience and feel right now there are things that are eternal Uh, there are things that will go on long after this earth has been destroyed much less long after i have passed from this earth those are the things that have priority jesus says and so matthew chapter 11 uh, jesus uh interaction about john the baptist and it's such a great passage uh, Matthew 11, verse 1, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, John the Baptist, not John the Apostle, but John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? I love this story about John. I mentioned it in a devotional for this week. Um, that I have on that I'll have online uh, tomorrow. Actually, I believe I'll post it uh, tomorrow because it's it's about doubt and is it okay uh, to doubt? And I'll share that great story from Elisha about his servant thinking that they were doomed because of the Syrian army, and and Elisha asking God to open his eyes so that he could see the powers of God that would fight with them. Well, John is kind of the same way here. He's he's got his doubts. You know, he came saying that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and and he saw uh, he baptized Jesus and saw the Spirit descend on him, and pointed to Jesus for his disciples to go after him, who was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John 1 29 says, and now John is in prison, and there's no deliverance, there's no rescue. Ultimately, John's head would be cut off because of the sinful woman. Uh, Herodias, uh, because John called her out. Uh, she thought being happy would be in her relationship uh, with Herod, and and John said, "Well, that might make you happy, but it's wrong. It's wrong in the eyes of God." And she put him in jail for it, in prison, and ultimately tricked her husband into having his head cut off and killed. Um, it was not a pleasant thing uh, for John, and it was not a pleasant thing while he was in prison wondering am i am i is this it am i going to be released are you really the one that i thought you were that's the message he sends uh, to jesus jesus replied in verse 4 go back and report to john what you see and hear. the blind receive sight the lame walk those who have leprosy are cleansed the deaf hear the dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me and that passage is very uh, um, confrontive to me, because what Jesus uh, sends word back to John and tells him, look, tell John this is this is what you're seeing, and he'll know, yes, I'm the one. And could those things be said about me? Not the miraculous things, I think those were limited to the first century, that we don't see anything like what happened in Jesus' day and in the days of the early church since then. Um, but are people helped? Are people helped because of my ministry, because of my faith? Are people encouraged? Are people pointed towards a Jesus? Uh, is the kingdom of heaven proclaimed? Um, and not just some agenda or special favorite topic that Bill has. I think it's important. That's why I've always felt like it's important to use. Uh, textual sermons over time because it it forces you to find those passages, those books, those chapters that are not your favorites, but need to be preached and need to be learned and need to be taught. And um, and Jesus tells uh, the disciples of John, look, go back and tell them this is this is what you're seeing. Uh, the poor are helped, those who are sick and are hurting are helped. Uh, the message of God is is brought out. And so then Jesus little commentary on John in verse seven, John's decided, as they were leaving Matthew 11, verse seven, uh, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A see a reed swayed by the wind. In other words, somebody kind of weak, that'll go whichever way the culture is going, that's what I'm going to go. If not, and definitely not, John was very strong-willed, very strong in standing up against the culture. Uh, If not, verse 8, what did you go out to see, a man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. It certainly wasn't John. Um, You know, camel's here and all of that, so not him. Um, If not, verse 8, what did you go out to? A man dressed in fine clothes no those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces then what did you go out to see a prophet yes i tell you and more than a prophet this is the one about whom it is written i will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you truly i tell you among those born of women there has not risen anyone greater than john the baptist yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come, as Malachi would say. Whoever has ears, let him hear. To what can I compare this generation? Jesus asked in verse 16. They're like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a a dirge and you didn't mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. I love this commentary and this comparison from Jesus as he as he talks about uh, his relative, perhaps cousin John the Baptist, and and compares him to himself in his own ministry. And he quotes that children's rhyme. And I, you know, I I don't know if this is true or not, but it seems like it is as Jesus talks about it. He's he's talking about a, a little game and a little song that the kids would sing in the marketplace. Um, we played the pipe for you when you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. And I see kids today, uh, you know, uh, jump, doing the jump rope or doing some hand game or something and, and having some little kids song that they've made up that they, uh, take part in there. Um, I think that's what Jesus is saying. I think that's what he's talking about. And, and he applies it to the people, uh, the Jews of his day, because he says, look, when John came, it was rough. I mean, his disciples were praying and fasting. He you know, was uh, uh, eating locusts and wild honey, he wore camel's hair and leather belt. I mean, he was lived in the wilderness. He was a weird guy and hard guy. Um, but then when Jesus came, there was no praying or fasting as we talked about in the last lesson, that bridegroom was still with them. Um, and just as he did when he called Matthew, uh, he, he went to dinner, his first miracle, John tells us, was at a wedding reception, uh, we get that. But what Jesus is saying here is, why wouldn't you at least respond to one or the other? I mean, either John's approach or mine, but you've rejected them both, he tells the Jewish leaders. And so he tells them, look, you're, you know, John was special and he looks back to the days of Isaiah and Isaiah 40 and other places and says, this is, you know, that was talking about John. You know, He's the one that was the voice crying in the desert and the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Uh, he was the one that was pointing to me. He was the Elijah that was prophesied who had come before the Messiah. And now he has and you rejected him and you rejected his teaching. And now here I am and you're rejecting me. Uh, Jesus says it just doesn't make any sense. Um, and then he finally pronounces this Um This woe beginning in verse 20, which is a little bit of a preview of what's going to come later uh, in those um, chapters, tough chapters like Matthew 23, where he pronounces all those woes upon the religious leaders of the Jews. Um, Matthew 11, verse 20. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. And I, you know, I, I think that tells us a lot. You know, we we sometimes feel like, oh, if I could have just seen those miracles that Jesus did or that Paul did, uh, uh, Jeremiah did, or Elisha, I I would, uh, boy, I wouldn't be like the others. I would, I would, I would repent. I would do right. Would you? Would I? You know, what Jesus says in that parable of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16 is, uh, look, they have Moses and the prophets and The man in torment says, no, no, no. But if they saw somebody rise from the dead, boy, they would believe. And and Abraham says, no, I don't think so. They have the word. If they're not going to accept the word of God, then they're probably not going to accept even if they saw a miracle. The signs and miracles that Jesus did, that the apostles did, that the ones the apostles ministered to did in that first century. Um, they were there to accompany the teaching, uh, not to take its place. Uh, they were there in an extraordinary time. So the people would know that this is from God. Uh, but we see those uh, e- events and those signs and miracles, and we read those stories and we're struck by how many people rebelled against them. How many people sought to do exactly what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 10? Uh, to kill the messengers rather than accept the message. Jesus says that's going to continue to happen. And he mentions several of these towns, um, uh, some from Syria, some from that general area, Tyre and Sidon, for example, uh, Capernaum, where he did a lot of his miracles. Um, And and he tells them, you know, if if what had been performed uh, in Sodom, verse 23 says it, If the things you're seeing would have been performed in Sodom, they would have repented. Um, But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Because you've rejected the Son of God. You've rejected the word and will of the Father. And so Jesus says, it's not going to go well for you. And he's going to pronounce more woes again later on towards the end of Matthew's gospel. And then uh, this great passage in Matthew 11, beginning at verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Uh, The the religious leaders, the ones who should have understood and and been able to understand and to see and to respond, they they didn't. Uh, But others did, Jesus says. Yes, Father, this is what you are pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And so Jesus in John 14, as he's talking to his disciples, would talk about his special relationship with the Father. And Philip would ask him, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough. That'll be so cool, we'll believe you forever then. And I see Jesus just shaking his head, and. A little bit of frustration saying, Philip, have I been so long with you and you still don't get it? If you've seen me, you've seen the father. Ultimately, the, the uh, charge that would cause Jesus to be convicted, Pilate to say guilty, crucify him, ultimately was that he claimed to be the son of God, that he claimed to be that king that was over even Caesar himself. And so the great invitation that Jesus offers in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, if you don't have this one marked in your Bible or can't find it, uh, you should. Beautiful words. Matthew 11, verse 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Obviously, the yoke and the burden that Jesus describes in Matthew 10 was not easy or light. And so he's not saying that. But what he is saying is, I think, comparing it to the yoke that you have on you right now. Um, My yoke is easy. My burden is much lighter than the burden that you're carrying with you now. Uh, Jesus never promises to take away all of our sorrows, to take away all of our difficulties. Um, He never promises us happiness the way the world measures it. In fact, as we've seen today, he clearly says that a lot of the times uh, you'll have to suffer for doing right. You'll have to suffer for following me and being my disciple. But Jesus says, I will give you something that the world cannot give and that everyone in today's world still so desperately seeks. And that very simply is rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, Jesus says. Um, not rest that only lasts a moment, not rest that is dependent upon a, a warm bed and a, and a nice home, but, but rest of soul, rest of spirit, the kind of rest that can come only through the assurance of having Jesus dwell. Uh, in our hearts. Um, And so I hope if you've never been baptized into Jesus Christ that you'll seek to do that. Uh, Scripture, as it talks about the response of faith, says we trust in Jesus and we change our lives. That's the word repent. And that means I don't do everything I wanted to do before. I do things the way Jesus wants me to do them. We believe in him. We repent of our sins. We confess that. We acknowledge it, just like he said in chapter 10, acknowledge me before others but in a more precise way, acknowledging faith in Christ. And then being baptized into Jesus Christ. Scripture is clear in the book of Acts in answer to the question, what must I do to be saved? Time and time again, that's the answer. Um, To be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus offers that invitation here. Come to me, those of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Uh, Well, we still have some time, so Bill's going to work on chapter 12, kick it into fourth gear, and let's go. Matthew chapter 12. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Jesus got into so much trouble on the Sabbath, apparently. I, I imagine we only have a few of the instances recorded in the Gospels. I'm not sure that maybe it happened most every week. Um, He answered, verse three, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? They still work on the Sabbath, Jesus is saying. I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent for the son of man. Verse eight is Lord of the Sabbath going on from that place. Verse nine, he went into their synagogue still on the Sabbath, or at least on another Sabbath. And a man with a shriveled hand was there looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. They asked him, is it lawful to heal? the sabbath he said to them if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the sabbath will you not take hold of it and lift it out how much more valuable is a person than a sheep therefore it is lawful to do good on the sabbath then he said to the man stretch out your hand so he stretched it out and it was completely restored just as sound as the others but the pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill jesus Again, a great miracle, a great sign, and yet people rejected him, not just in spite of that, but for the Pharisees, for the religious leaders who were seeing their power go away, they, they rejected him because of what he did and because of how he um, acted. Uh, scripture talks about this, this story of, of Jesus and the Sabbath on several occasions, and he calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath here. Um, and, uh, Mark gives us a great view of this in Mark chapter three. And in this passage, Jesus tells the old Testament story of, of King David, how he was fleeing for his life and, and found some solace in the temple and, and, uh, was able to eat the consecrated, uh, uh, bread, uh, not in the temple, but at, at the tabernacle and was able to, to share that, which was really meant for the priest and yet, um, And yet David and his men uh, were guiltless because of that. Um, And and so Jesus looks back at that and he says, okay, those of you who are making sure every I is dotted and every T is crossed, remember remember that scripture has other things to say as well. And then once again, just as he did in Matthew's calling in Matthew chapter 9, he quotes from Hosea chapter 6, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And again, he's not saying sacrifice and law-keeping isn't important. It was, it was absolutely important. Uh, keeping the Sabbath was absolutely important. But what it was not to do uh, was to be solely important with mercy taken out of the equation. And so somehow finding the balance there is, is our difficult chore. Uh, we've mentioned that Jesus in John 1 Uh, John says that he came full of grace and truth. He revealed to us grace and truth. Not just grace, not just truth, but both. And so Jesus says, look, you need to be concerned about sacrifices, sure, but you also need to be concerned with mercy. And mercy triumphs over judgment, the apostle John would say. Uh, and And in a context that says, look, God is going to be very concerned we show the same compassion for others that he has shown for us Uh, they criticized jesus when matthew was called and jesus went to his home and that's how he responded they criticized jesus here and this great event where everyone should have been celebrating this incredible healing that just took place instead they decide that they need to kill him uh, because he is healed on the sabbath because he is coming and is offering up something that Uh, We're not prepared to obey and that uh, the people are going to accept um, over us. And so the religious leaders just would not have it. Uh, They would not have it. Uh, So we keep reading uh, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 15. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. It wasn't his time uh, to be uh, given over to the Jews and the Romans. A large crowd followed him and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. This passage in Matthew 12 helps us to understand uh, part of the reason that Jesus would tell people that he healed, such as here, don't, don't let anybody know, don't tell anybody who did this. Uh, and, and he looks back, uh, to the book of Isaiah again, in chapter 42 and in chapter 43 and reminds people, Matthew does as he records these words of Jesus, reminding them, look, this is how the Messiah was supposed to be. He was not supposed to be someone that would toot his own horn. He was not supposed to be someone that was in it for the glory. If that was the case, he would have jumped off the temple, like Satan tempted him to do at the very beginning in Matthew 4. It wasn't about that. What he was meant to do was to come and to help and to save and to heal and to teach and to give his life for others, not just for himself. And so as, as Matthew records these words, Um, he reminds us that this is why there was not a big deal made, because uh, that wasn't Jesus' purpose. Um, And he quotes the Old Testament. He quotes the book of Isaiah. He will not quarrel or cry out, uh, Matthew 12, verse 19. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Um, He was there to help those who were suffering. He was not there to make a name for himself. Uh, and those who were suffering, he sought to heal and to help. Um, but he did it in a way that was not meant to bring glory to himself, but was meant to bring glory to the Father. And um, and that continued throughout his life. And then this interesting passage in Matthew uh, 12, um, beginning at verse 22. They brought a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? Could this be the Messiah or Christ? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. And I think the rest of this passage responds to that thought and that uh, belief. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand if satan drives out satan he is divided against himself how then can his kingdom stand and if i drive out demons by the chief demon Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out so then they will be your judges but if it is by the spirit of god that i drive out demons then the kingdom of god has come upon you or again how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions Unless he first ties up the strong man, then he can plunder his house. Jesus first responds to them with logic, with logic. Jesus says, look, why would I be doing this if I were on the side of the devil? This, these are acts that would defeat the devil and his purpose. So it, it can't be because of that. And I'm certainly not going to drive out demons in the name of the chief demon, uh, the devil. Elzebel, that that doesn't make any sense for me to be able to do this i would have to have power over him and then these words beginning in verse 30 whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters again seek first my kingdom my righteousness the kingdom of god and his righteousness if you're not with me you're against me if you're not gonna uh, try to follow me then then, um, then you're not a part of me. Uh, a very strong, strong teaching uh, that Jesus says. He, he's basically saying, decide. Decide who you want to live for. Decide who you want to be as Lord of your life. Because if you want it to be me, I'll do it. Um, but if you're not going to be with me, then, then you've got something else on the throne in your heart. And so I tell you, verse 31, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age uh, to come. Make a tree good, verse 33, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. Just like he said in Matthew 7. You brood of vipers. Uh, Jesus calls them a bunch of snakes. (laughs) And so Jesus is not this weak, frail, milly-mouthed kind of guy that never stands up to anybody, never calls anybody out, always just wants everybody to get along, always wants everybody to be happy. That's not what he was about at all. What he wanted more than anything else was for everyone to follow the Father's will. And so he calls them out. You brood of vipers. Verse 34. How can you who are evil say anything good for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word that they have spoken for by your words, you will be acquitted and by your words, you will be condemned. The significance about that last passage is the the mouth speaks what's in the heart. We know that we'll be judged by what's in our heart. And so I'm often asked, well, Bill, how do I know what's in my heart? Well, here's one of those windows. What comes out of your mouth? Is it words of kindness? Is it words of help? Is it words of blessing? Sometimes even words of confrontation done in a spirit of humility to try to save someone's soul? Or are they words of selfishness and cruelty, uh, perhaps words of rage? Um, What comes out of your mouth, Jesus says, because out of the abundance of the heart, the old translation, the mouth speaks. um, And by our words, Jesus says, you'll be judged. And so it's important to, to, as the little kids song said, can, you know, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Uh, It is important. Thankfully, the blood of Jesus forgives us of our sins, but it is significant and it is important um, what we say. And then a word or two before we kind of close this off today about the sin against the Holy Spirit um, and the unpardonable sin. I had a lady one time in Arlington who uh, came through our benevolence ministry, the wonderful hearts and hands ministry there. And as I met with her, met with people that would come that wanted to speak to a minister or have prayer together, she had a question about, She wanted to know about the unpardonable sin. And so I said, okay, fine, we can talk about that. Well, we studied about that for weeks and weeks. And finally, I told her, look, I've I've told you everything I know about this probably several times, but there's a lot more in scripture than just this one question. Can we we do some more study about some of those other things that you may find are even more significant in your day-to-day life than this one? Well, that was the last I saw of her. Because that's the way we are sometimes. We have our pet question, we have our pet theme, we have our pet project. And if it has to do with something that maybe I struggle with, or if it has to do with something that's gonna cause me to change my life, then not interested, not interested. What about this unpardonable sin, Bill? Well, I think what Jesus says here, he's talking again specifically in response to those who would take the good that Jesus was doing in the name of the Holy spirit of the name of God, the father, and attribute it not to the spirit, but to Satan. And basically an an all out rejection of Jesus and his, his word and his teaching and his life. And I think that's what he's talking about, because if we turn away from Jesus, there, there's no place else to go. Jesus said in John 14, verse six, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father, but by me, and the and the truth is, if we reject Jesus, if we reject his works, if we reject His word and his teaching, then there's nowhere else for us to go um, and find the salvation and the forgiveness that only comes through Jesus. And so is it a hard teaching? It absolutely is a hard teaching. is it Is it a, a very unpopular teaching in our diverse culture in twenty first century America? Oh, yeah. yeah, you want to you want to be uh, accused of something. Then you go about telling people, look, you've got to you've got to repent of the sins in your life and and you've got to come to know Jesus Christ. Uh, He's the only way to the father. Yeah, that's not going to be very popular in today's world, but it is the truth. It is the gospel. Do we do that humbly? Yes. Do we do that with great respect for others who disagree with us? Absolutely. Uh, Do we consider our own lives and our own sin and do it humbly? Yes, we do but we stand with Jesus. We can't deny him. We must do, as he says in Matthew 10, acknowledge him and not not deny him. Uh, Even if we have to pay a price for it, even if we have to change our lives because of it, um, it's the most important thing uh, to put Jesus on the throne in our hearts. And so I pray that you will do that. And I pray that you will read these words and study these words far more than just our time together and consider what in your life um, is 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 faithful to this one who came with such power uh, and such authority uh, that he called people to be obedient and to live uh, faithfully, perfectly, no, sinlessly, no. None of us do that, but we can live faithfully. We can be on this path, this narrow road, as he talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, that leads to righteousness and to life, um, and not the road that everybody else is on, that that just Uh, is a road that they got on because it makes them feel good. Uh, Jesus said there's more to life than that. Uh, There is being uh, uh, right in the eyes of the Father. There's having a relationship with me, the one who came to live and to die for your sins. Um, There's the promise of life and hope eternal. Um, There's that rest that Jesus promised. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Uh, For I am meek and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my burden is easy. My yoke is light. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the words of Jesus. They're hard words. Uh, They call us to change our lives. They call us to submit to him and his will. To you and we pray father that you would bless us to be able and willing to do that as hard as it might seem as hard as it might be because we know there's no other way to you except through jesus except through his teaching his word um his life his death his resurrection to be a part of the church father that he built through that death through the blood that was shed that provides for us forgiveness of sins and an eternity with you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, my friends. I pray that God will bless you today and every day.